This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by the Live Alcohol Experiment, a 30-day science-based and compassion-led journey where you learn to develop a healthier relationship with alcohol without relying on willpower. Why? Because the truth is that willpower runs out. Instead, you learn how to focus on what you gain, not what you give up, so you can feel good about the decisions you make without shame or guilt. With the 30 days of video training, virtual daily coaching, and a private and supportive community, you get that and so much more. Join us today to get happier, healthier, and to take back your life. Your live alcohol experiment starts on the 1st, so sign up at livealcoholexperiment.com. Hello, everybody. I'm Scott Pinyard, head coach of This Naked Mind, and I am here with a naked life story and someone with an incredible story. I'm here with Caitlin. How's it going, Caitlin? Great. It's good to chat with you. Yeah, welcome. We were, just before we were getting on here, we were talking about this idea of sharing stories and how important it is, you know? And I feel like for me, um, people's stories were a huge part of my journey. Has that been big for you? Have you listened to other stories or how did that play out for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, totally. I think when I first kind of started on this, I was doing a lot of things by myself and I, I'm a voracious reader. So I found everything I read through. I mean, I read This Naked Mind, of course, and then I read Laura McCowan and Holly Whitaker and Catherine Gray. And I was just like going over and over and over those stories. And I think that um, as a woman going through this too. I, there's a lot of really good literature out there. Um, yeah. yeah. And it was, it was really interesting to kind of see how my story related to their stories that they're, they're all different, but that I took pieces from everything. And I took little like bits of wisdom from everything that I was reading and kind of put it, put it back into my story and realized that like, it may be different, but it's similar enough. And yes. yeah. it all, all this stuff is kind of related. So I love that. All right. Well, let's do it then. Let's dive in. Like, take me back to the beginning, right? Maybe your first drink. Where did this all start for you? What's your drinking journey been like? Yeah. Um, I was not a big drinker. I think the first time I drank was on my 21st birthday with my parents, um, which is, yeah. <laughs> well, that's like, funny. No, it's, I, I laugh only because I also, I, I mean, I drank earlier than 21, but it wasn't until I got to college. All my friends were drinking in high school and I wouldn't do it. So that's yeah. why I'm laughing because I don't meet many people like that. Yeah. Well, so like I, I mean, this is part of the story too, but I'm sort of like type A, things are in a box, you check the boxes, you know, yeah. you, you fit the mold. And so I was a good kid, right? Like I, right. I got good grades, I played soccer, I was, I was, you know, in that box. And, um, you know, we went out to dinner um, at some fancy restaurant, I don't even remember. And uh, my mom was like, you should have, you should have champagne. Like it's your birthday. Like, 21. Okay. That's another box to check. Right. Right. <laughs> like I've never, I've never had champagne. I guess I'll try it. And it was awful. And I hated it. I was like, that is disgusting. Like, why do people drink this? Um, and it's funny that I think that part of the, one of the things that I think a lot of our stories have in common is the, the length of time that it takes to sort of get to a place where, you look back and go, 
where, where did that change? Yeah. Like, where did that shift happen? And I think if for me, looking back, I'm not really, sh I'm not really sure where it happened, which is kind of interesting because I, throughout like the rest of college and, and grad school, like I drank occasionally, but it was more like a social thing or, you know, like blowing off steam, that sort of thing. Um, and I think for me, like the big change was when I went to vet school. So um, I moved from Rhode Island to Mississippi away from my partner who's I'm now married to um but we had been together for a year or two and he was in a career and I was kind of starting mine and so we were like okay we're gonna make this work and so I moved on my own um and my mom died three days before I moved wow. um yeah it wasn't totally unexpected she had been sick for a while um but it was it, it was sort of a blow um, yeah. and my life sort of got turned up upside down in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. Um, you know, and, and I know you're, you're from new England too. So like yeah. the, the way that new Englanders sort of like move in the world, like we kind of, we do things, we, you know, we just, we don't talk to people. There's no, and in the South, it's like, I don't know if it's the heat makes people slow or what it is, but you know, the pace of life is just so very yes. different. And yeah. the way that people talk to you is so different too. You know, like when I went to the bank, like right after I got down there, I went to the bank cause I had a check, you know, for my mom and all that stuff. And I, it, they could tell like that it was sort of like a, a check after somebody had passed and the, the bank yes. teller just asked me she was like who who is this like who is this to you and she just she wanted the story and I was like oh my lord wait I can I just get my money like this is really yeah. uncomfortable for me yeah um and so I think it was a combination of like going through that grief without without a true support system Mm -hmm. where I was like I had support but I didn't have support with me yeah um, in a new place away from home like all of those things sort of came to get by myself like um and so I think that the the change was like over that four years where I started it went from like you know hanging out with friends and having a beer or something like that to you know I have a lot of social anxiety too and being in a situation where I didn't know anybody, yeah, you know, of like, oh, you're going to go to this party. Okay. Well, I'm going to have a drink first so that I'm, you know, more myself. Right. Which right. now I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but sort of getting to a place where I, I was reaching for it for different reasons. And I mm -hmm. think that now knowing what I know now, I can look back on that time of my life and say, okay, like that is where, that is where the shift started. That's where it started yeah. to change. Um, I'm curious about I something. I want to hang on. I just want to yeah. ask about a detail there, you know, like, because a lot of people have this sort of experience, right? Like there is maybe not a single event. Maybe it's like a combination of events, but if you can think back on that and that time, you know, going out with friends and, and drinking and what that turned into, what do you think it was emotionally that you were after there? Do you have it? Do you have a, a sense of that? Yeah. Um, comfort and escape. Mm. I think those are like the big two. And yeah. I, I think those two things continued to be the things that I <laughs> was trying to, to, <laughs> to look for or get rid of, I guess. Sure. Um, yeah. I think, 
I think probably escape more than anything else. Um, escape from stress, escape from reality, escape from myself too. Um, That's another piece of the story is I have ADD. And so like my mind never stops. Mm -hmm. And then I think over time, I kind of learned that it slowed down when I was drinking too. Um, So, so I think that was another, like the the self-medication aspect too. So it's amazing. You know, I, in working with people, like I hear this a lot, right. That there is maybe not a distinct turning point. Like people think about this idea of a turning point as like one day it just changed, but that's not normally how it goes. You said this was a period of four years. And was it like sort of steadily increasing over that time? I think, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I'm, I'm, I try to think back to like, can I pinpoint and, and not, not in that time, but I think, I think that was when my behavior changed and it, it became like, this is a fun thing to do occasionally to like, this is a thing that I do to relax, to unwind, to yeah. get away from things. And I think that, that that shift was sort of monumental in the rest of the, <laughs> the story. Definitely, yeah. definitely. All right, so you have four years in Mississippi. Yeah. And then what, then where'd you go? Yeah, so then I went back to Rhode Island. Um, I graduated and I did a one-year internship at this like super busy, huge emergency hospital because um, I wanted to be an emergency vet. And um, that was insane. That was like, I literally worked, slept, and ate for a year. That was it. Um, I'm, I'm a runner and I started like really running in, in school and I barely ran at all that year. Um wow. And my health sort of like started to slide because I wasn't exercising. Um, I think I gained about 20 pounds, which for me, like I'm five feet tall. Like that's, that's a lot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no idea you were so short, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And you only see this part. Not to call you short, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's short. Um, my husband is six, five, so it balances out. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but yeah, so that year was sort of like a, it's funny. Like I, I look back on that year and I'm like, wow, that was horrible. I mean, mm-hmm. it made me a better doctor, but that's not good for your mental health at all. No. Um, yeah. And, and, yeah. The, and the drinking in that year got a little different too, where it was like, okay, I'd come home after, you know, a 16 hour overnight and was like, okay, I'm just going to like have a glass of wine and go to bed because I can't sleep otherwise. And yep. there, this sort of the culture in emergency medicine is, like veterinary medicine is really different, right? I mean, it's a lot like, like human medicine, there's a lot of crossover. And it's that whole, like, you go, 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 go until you burn out and break down. Yeah. Um, And we're, we're all trying to change that. But um, the joke, like the emergency doctors were like, because because we would go home and be like, I can't sleep after an overnight. What do you guys do? And they were like, Oh, I take a melatonin, Benadryl and two glasses of wine. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then Is you that develop how this that. Is supposed to work. Yeah. Right. Right. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll start with the melatonin, <laughs> you know, and, and then you, you just get into this, like everybody, everybody sort of develops the same habits. And so mm-hmm. when I finished my internship, I got a job at a, a emergency practice out in Western Massachusetts. And so we moved out here. Um, and it was kind of the same thing. It was that whole, like, this is the, this is the culture. It's like a much smaller hospital, but, um, you know, this is what we do. Yeah. This is how we, this is how we cope with these things. Um, and I think that like, 
substance use and medicine really needs to be talked about more. Um, and I'm, I'm finding that the more I talk to people, um, like online or in like support groups and things like that, it's like vets have their own little, um, thing. It's like, the more I talk to people, I'm like, okay, so we're all using alcohol as a, a salve over everything. And like, that's not, <laughs> I, and, yeah. and, I, and, and the, just, the, just the sort of idea that that's normal and that's what we're supposed to do. Like, oh, you had a bad day or you had a bad case or, you know, something went wrong, like mm-hmm. go home and have a glass of wine, you'll feel better. And, and that just, everybody does that. Yes. Well, it's interesting too. I, listening to your story, I, I see like some coping mechanisms going away and alcohol kind of taking its place, right? Uh, substances in general, right? Like Mm -hmm. just being able to come down after a shift. But this idea of like, I mean, you mentioned that you weren't running as much, you weren't, you know, your health started to slide in that. I mean, that I hear that very often um, from people who are in hectic lives, whatever it happens to be. I will, by the way, agree with you. um, The number of medical professionals of all different stripes that I've talked to um, have all reported pretty much the same thing. And I think what's interesting about that, I'm curious about your perspective on this. Like, Mm you're doing what you're doing to help, right? To help others, um, to help other families, to help the your animal patients, like all, like you're there to help, yet you're not helping yourself, right? And I see people get caught in this cycle so often. So what was that like? I mean, did you, were you aware at the time of like, wow, I am not working out as much as I should be, like physically I'm not feeling good or how, how did that feel as you were going through that, that time period? Yeah, I mean, in my internship, it felt awful, and I was very conscious of it. And I would like try to get out for runs when I could. And mm-hmm. um, when when we when we moved, and I got a, a much more stable. I mean, emergency is not stable, but I got a more stable job. Um, yeah. I started I started running again, and I started kind of getting back into that. Um, but yeah, I think I wasn't aware of it at first, but I was looking at some of my mentors in the profession and, you know, how they were coping. And there's sort of like a joke that emergency med, like emergency vet med is, you know, you do it for five years and you either stay in it forever or you leave it. Um, And I I think some of that has to do with the culture rather than the individuals. And I think that, again, that's that's a whole other conversation, but, um, you know, when I was looking at how do I how do I make this a career? You know, when I'm working 12 to 16 hour shifts and I'm exhausted and I like, I can't sleep and my day's off, I can't do anything cause I'm tired. And like, mm-hmm. how do I try to, to put that together? And, um, watching my mentors and, and their, their coping mechanisms and, and the revolution around alcohol in all of that. Um, and realizing that I needed to do something to get, to get myself back. Yeah. And that was a, that was a much longer process, right? Um, you know, that mm-hmm. was one of those where I, so I ran, I ran one marathon when I was in vet school. Um, and then I didn't run any for a year or so. Um, and then I started training and running again and I've run 11 now. Um, wow. yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, I'm training for number 12 right now, but, um, and it started with, you know, how can I 
how can I support my body through that? Um, you know, and so I was vegan for a while. Um, I was actually vegan in Mississippi, which is almost impossible down That's there. They amazing. were like, you eat chicken, yes. right? Like no chicken's bird. Um, <laughs> so, so that was interesting, but so I was vegan for a while and I was looking at, you know, like on one side of my family, there's this history of cancer and the other side there's heart disease. And I was like trying to eat all the right things, right? but I like, there's this little piece that nobody ever talks about. Right. That like, what, what you drink is also part of, part of your nutrition or lack of- Kind of links both of them. <laughs> right, yeah. right. And I came across this article where um, some runner, sort of like, you know, amateur, but like good amateur was talking about how, you know, before a big race, they did a dry month where they didn't drink any alcohol for a month, um, you know, and, and that, that they felt like that was good for them and their training. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. I'll try that. And the first time I tried it, it was like, I think I went two weeks and I was like, this is bullshit. Like, I don't know. Why would I do this? Like, I'm not, I'm not competing. I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not a good runner or whatever. So that was interesting. And then, you know, I tried it again and like, well, maybe if I'll just take like two weeks off before the race or something like that, or I'll do, I'll do a little bit here, a little bit there. And, um, over time I started to realize that it wasn't that I didn't want to do it it was that I couldn't do it. You know, I would get to that place where I, I was like, well, I had a hard day. Like I, I can reward myself. Like it's this, it's, it's not, it's not that bad. It's not a, it's not a big deal. I can have, I can have a glass or I can have this or have that. And realizing that that was a problem for me. Right. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't necessarily a, a problem but recognizing that for me, that attitude was not sustainable. I remember, I mean, I, I have had, I had this conversation multiple times with my wife of like, oh, it's not a problem. I can quit for a month. And then a couple of weeks in, same thing that you're talking about. Actually, I never made it a couple of weeks. Normally it was a couple of days. Yeah. Um, and then, and it, and it kind of sticks in your head of like, hmm is this a problem or not? But you're ignoring it, right? Cause you're going on and like the stress and the pressure is still there from work, right? right. It's not like that's going away. Right, right. And that's the thing is that, you know, the, when, when you're reaching for any substance, right? Like alcohol, sugar, chocolate, I guess chocolate, sugar, but whatever, when you're, when you're using anything for that purpose and you're not doing anything else, to replace that, when you take it away, you have nothing and yeah. you feel like you have nothing. And then you say, okay, well, I don't have anything else. So I'm going to do this thing. And recognizing like the number of times, when I think of the number of times that I went out for a training run hungover, that's insane to me. Like the things that I put my body through when I was at the same time, like trying to to elevate my body and trying to, to be healthier and to think of like all the other things that I was doing to be healthier. And yet I was still doing that. Yeah. Wow. I, I just, I was probably so dehydrated <laughs> all the time. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. Um. So yeah. So, so that sort of started the, this needs to change mentality. Um, and I don't know, that was maybe 2017, 2018, mm -hmm. when I think, when I think back and those were, those were half-hearted efforts. Those were like, yeah. 
you know. They're kind of attached to something else too, right? It's not about quitting drinking. It's like, oh, I heard this good thing. This can help me in the marathon, right? It's not, yeah, I get what you're saying. Right, right. And then, and then sort of like the, the transition from, you know, this is something that I want to do to help me train better or to, you know, get a, get a better time in the marathon to, I think I probably need to change this for other reasons. Yeah. Um, but, but feeling like, you know, there's something wrong with me because I need to do that or that I have, you know, a, a failing because of that and also a failing because I couldn't do it. And so that's where you get into the like, you know, Google machine, like, am I an alcoholic? Yep. And then you do that. You're like, no, actually I'm not. So it's fine. Right. Yes. <laughs> and so, so you get into that. And I think for, for me, you know, whenever I, I tried to do a dry month or, or a couple of weeks or just like a night or whatever, it was whenever somebody would, would ask, you know, cause it's noticeable, I'd be like, oh, well I'm training. And so then when, from there on, like whenever I would decline a drink or something like that, I'd be like, oh, are you training for something? Yeah. And then it got, so where it got real weird was the beginning of COVID for me. So I had, I was scheduled to run a marathon in the middle of April last year. Um, And I had been training for it. And so was this, was this Boston? No, I'm just guessing. Cause you mentioned you live in Massachusetts. That's middle yeah. of April, but no, Boston, uh, yeah. Boston is like a pipe dream for me. I am not fast enough to qualify yet, but I am working on that. So, um, so ne- cool. next year I'll be in a different age bracket. So fingers crossed, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you get slower as you get older. Um, but yeah, so it was in, it was in Ohio. And mm-hmm. so I, I was, and it was a race that I had run the year prior, but I was really sick. And so I ran seven miles and I couldn't breathe and I dropped out. Like we drove all the way to Ohio and I ran seven miles of a race and didn't finish. Um, so I was going back. That was my plan. It's like, I'm going back. I am going to finish this race. I'm going to do really well. Like this is my, it's nice and flat. The weather's great. Like I'm doing this. And then somewhere around the beginning of March was like, oh, maybe this isn't happening. And I had planned, I had planned for April to be a dry month. Like I'm not going to drink, you know, I'm not going to drink the whole month before the race. Like I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. And at that time I had, I had done like a couple of 30 day things, um, half-heartedly like, you know, white knuckling and, and that sort of thing. Um, and so then, so then COVID happens and I'm still kind of training, but I'm also a little bit injured. (laughs) So I'm trying to train through that and thinking like, is this race going to happen? I don't know. Um, and then realizing at the beginning of April that the race is off, I'm injured. So even if the race was on, I probably couldn't have run it. So there's a blessing in disguise there. Um, and deciding like, I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to take a month off. I'm still going to, you know, like I need to do this for me. And I, I want to see, I want to see where this goes. And so I started, I think I started the 30 day challenge, just like with a book, not online or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then like it hit the fan, right? Like the beginning to mid of (laughs) April, like everybody was like, oh my God, the world is destroyed. We're going, you know, downhill (laughs) in a handbasket. It's over, you know? And my best friend was sending me, um, like memes and things about the pandemic and about like, you know, work from home. She's got two kids. And so, um, 
one day I was just like, you know what? I don't think I should go through race cancellations, being injured and a global pandemic without drinking because that's not fair to me. So I don't think now is the time to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and so I yeah. started drinking again and it was like, you know, a little bit. And then there was like one night, right? And I don't even remember, but I know I got up the next morning and I felt horrible. It's probably the worst hangover I have had in my life. Um, and I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, that's it. This is it. You're done. Like, this is not good. This needs to change. Yeah. And that was April 16th of last year. <laughs> um, and I think that like that aha moment for me, and I don't know, I don't know what it was. I, it was like all of the things that led up to that one particular mm -hmm. moment where I realized that my life was not sustainable like that. And yeah. I didn't want to be the person that I was turning into. And so from there, I did the May live alcohol experiment on mm -hmm. Facebook. And at the end of May, TNM was like, hey, we have this new thing, guys why don't you check it out? <laughs> and that was, and that was how I came to the path. And I think that through the live alcohol experiment, I realized that I needed a community mm -hmm. and with COVID there, there, there was no local anything. Like there was right. no way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And so for, for me at that time, I, I think it was perfect timing to say, okay, there's this online community and it's going to be smaller and it's going to be more intimate and it's going to be focused on like trying to help you get through this thing. And it, it just like this, I feel like the stars aligned for me in, in that couple of months where, you know, I finally fully committed to making a change and I had resources available that I could get to that spoke to me personally. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. The timing, you know, is really interesting to me. And with COVID, like you mentioned, I mean, we had no idea. So for reference, we're recording this right now in April of 2021. So it was literally a year ago it seemed like everything was falling apart. I mean, I had, I was supposed to go to Disney with my kids. I had, you know, trips planned. I was going to be doing this. I was going to be doing that. And it's just like, everything came to a screeching halt. And I think so many people were faced with exactly what you were talking about, which is like, well, actually kind of the opposite of the first thing you were talking about, about like, this isn't fair to me to not drink. We start, start to realize, wait, this isn't actually helping me. And that's a really scary moment. Because for anyone that's been drinking over a period of time, you know, way back to your days in Mississippi, alcohol was how you dealt with this stuff, right? Maybe not every day, maybe not every time, but over time, that becomes the default answer. And so suddenly we find ourselves and everyone, pandemic or no pandemic, has a point in their journey where they start to realize, wait, this thing that I thought was helping isn't helping. I don't know how to stop. And now I'm stuck. So you mentioned it was the community and the live alcohol experiment and the path that really did it for you. Tell us about your experience with that in, in both circumstances. Yeah. So the, 
I think that the first thing that really got me was how much frigging work it was, Yeah. you know? And I think that I had this idea, right? So like I, I had this sort of general discontent with my life in, in a way that I couldn't put my finger on, but that I didn't really like who who I was in being in certain moments and I didn't really and I like when you look at it from the outside you're like yeah but you're you know you're married you have a good job you have a nice Things house fine. Like, yeah. yeah everything's fine like what's your problem the dogs um like what's the big deal but I just like I didn't feel whole I guess is the best way to say that and yeah. you know I had this idea that you know if I just stopped drinking all of that would get fixed Right. That like that, I, I put it all in that basket to say right. that, you know, if I change this one thing, then everything else will just follow, you know, and, and I made it mean all of that. And so I didn't realize that changing that one thing was going to take so much energy and so mm -hmm. much time. And I think that, you know, at the beginning of the, the live alcohol experiment, like I, I felt overwhelmed. I was like, there's 10,000 Facebook posts a day. There's so many people so here. Much going on. There's yeah. Like, you know, if I miss a, a, a coaching session, then like, how am I going to watch it? Like I have my phone like propped up on my desk at work, trying to type records and like trying to get, get like, watch all the content and do all this. And I, I was like, for a, for a minute, I was like, I don't think I can do this. This is like way yeah. too much for me. And I'm not prepared for this. Mm -hmm. And I think now I understand that one of the reasons that the content sort of gets like bombarded is that even if you just get a piece here and there, you're still yeah. getting something. And I know yes. that now, but at the time okay. I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> I'm so <laughs> overwhelmed. Um, and at the end of that, realizing that I wanted more and, mm -hmm. and realizing that the things that I had learned through like this naked mind and the live alcohol experiment and the, the, times that I had been able to attend the like coaching sessions live and asked questions. And I think, I mean, all of the coaches are amazing, but I think that the particular group of coaches for May, 2020, for me, um, I, I felt really connected to some of them. Um, yeah. and that, that really helped. Um, and, then kind of finding out that I could like, I could still have access to them. If I, if I went to the path, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I, I like these people. And, and I, I feel like they're, they're talking to me too. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's, and it was, a I think the draw for me was it, it was going to be a smaller group. Mm -hmm. Um, and that maybe within that small group, you could actually get to know people a little bit better and yeah. you could actually have, you know, you could form those, those friendships with people where, you know, you're not just sharing into the ether, right? You're not just like, and I think that was the thing about the, the live alcohol experiment, like the Facebook pages, which is fantastic. And I, I, I've mentored in March and it's amazing, but you don't know people really. And it's hard to get to know people in that platform because there are just so many people and not everybody's posting. And then, you know, the algorithms don't always show you things. And so, yes. so I think <laughs> yeah. moving, moving the platform off of Facebook a, um, mm -hmm. and so, because I, I like, 
one of the things that follows making the change with like alcohol is a lot of the other things in your life that you want to change. We can talk about that yes. in a second, but yeah. um, that I was trying to spend less time on Facebook. And so having the path on workplace for me is like for a while, that was my social media connection. And so it was really nice to be able to have a place where I could go and I could check in with people that I know and I can, you know, share in a space where somebody knows who I am. And mm -hmm. I think, so I don't know when the path started back in June, did we, did we all go into coach led groups? Uh, yeah. So that, that first version of it. Yeah. So you yeah. were all in groups that were, that had coaches in them. Okay. And I think that that, so that for me made a difference too, that you have this larger community where mm -hmm. everybody's kind of going through the same thing, but within yeah. that you have these more insulated groups. And so mm -hmm. again, at the beginning, it was overwhelming because there was like all of this. There was a lot. Yeah. So much, so much information and so much like little things and like, how does workplace work? We don't know, you know, and then workplace just deciding sometimes that it's not going to, um, <laughs> which it still does. But, um, but, and I, and I said this to you before, before we started recording, but I want to say it now is that, you know, your video about investing in yourself got me and stuck with me and actually prompted me to go way outside my comfort zone and do an intro video in my coach group, which I never would have done otherwise. That's um, awesome. You know, and I think that, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, you know, if I don't, if I don't put energy into this and I don't truly invest in myself here, this is not going to stick. This is not going to mm -hmm. happen. And if I want it to happen, I have to put in the work. Um, and I think you said that in that like intro video in a, a little bit of a different way, <laughs> um, <laughs> not as harsh, but, um, but it, that for me, that was the, that was the thing is that like, I need, I need to put energy into this for it to change. Yeah. I think that's a big turning point for so many people when they start to realize, um, you know, I got to take responsibility for the next steps. This is not, uh, it's not the same thing as blame. So like a lot of times we'll talk about this as where you are is not your fault, right? Where you are with alcohol is not your fault, but it is your responsibility right now that you've recognized it. And that's why we talk so much about this idea of investing and it's not just money, right? It's investing time, it's investing effort in yourself because it's through taking that responsibility and saying, hey, this is my journey, I'm gonna do it, that you're able to make those steps, you know? And that's why you're on the path, right? And that's why you um, did the intro video because you pushed yourself like that. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to look back at the things that I've done over the past year that I don't think I ever would have done. And so I think that, and I know we've, we've talked a lot about this outside of, of this, but it's not just about alcohol. And I think that, you know, early in all of this, it's all about alcohol right yeah. and it's mm -hmm. so it's so intense and it's so focused um and there were times that i was looking i was looking at what i was doing and i was like i'm spending so much time on this like is that a good thing should i be thinking right. about alcohol this much like is yes. that counter is that is that counterintuitive is that actually hurting me um you know and putting so much 
so much into that. And then one day you sort of look back and you realize that you haven't, you haven't thought about alcohol in days or weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But all of this other crap is coming up. It's just bubbling, yeah. you yeah. know, and all of the things that you, and I, I think it's really interesting because when I, for me, when I was using alcohol as like a soother or a coping mechanism, I didn't know I was doing it. It was just sort of a thing that started to happen. Looking back, I can see that. And when you start to notice it, it's when the things come up, right? It's where something happens and you're like, I want to drink. And you're like, okay, wait, here you go. Okay. This is a moment for you. Right. And so exactly. Yeah. I stopped. So I, I didn't have a lot of those moments early on and I'm kind of glad that I didn't. Um, I was switching jobs and um, it was like, my life is a lot, was a lot more stable. And so I didn't have those moments that mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to, to soothe. So over the last six months, when something like that pops up, because, because that's a line for me, right? I know that that, that trigger thought that says like, oh, glass of wine or beer would be really nice right now. I can, I can catch that and I can say, okay, where is that coming from? What started that thought? Can you track that back to a judgment, a thought, a behavior, a this and that, like it's a really nice day out, you know, that sort of thing. And can you, can you do that? And so for me, those, those thoughts aren't triggers as much as they are opportunities Um, and, and ways to, to kind of say like, okay, now that you have this line in the sand that you are absolutely not crossing, it doesn't become an option anymore. And I wish I knew how I did that because I think that it would be, it would be valuable <laughs> to, to share that, but I don't. I think that like, for me, it was just like, this is, this is it. And I, I am kind of regimented. So maybe I just needed a rule um, mm-hmm. and maybe I just needed to say like, okay, you're making a decision right now that you are not going to drink for a year. Well, I can tell you how the process works. I mean, I don't know very specifically for in your head, um, but you know, what we try to do in the path is, uh, this is one of the things when people join the path, um, you know, there isn't a rule about not drinking right away. As a matter of fact, we really tell people to, if you're still drinking, to keep drinking, but do it mindfully, pay attention to what's going on. So what essentially happens over those first few months in the path is you're becoming aware on a whole other level of alcohol's impact on your life. At the same time, we're teaching you a lot of stuff about you know, how alcohol affects us physically and mentally and emotionally. And so this case is being made, your conscious brain has already decided, right? That's why you're on the path. We are talking directly to your subconscious, right? That's why there's so much repetition. That's why we do things the way we do so that eventually people get to a place where they do draw that line in the sand. And it does feel resolute and it does feel different, right? But to your point, <laughs> there's a lot of other stuff that then comes up. And that's why we, you know, the, right now the program is a year long mm-hmm. um, and you've gone through all of that content. And like, now you're aware of like, wow, there's so many other places in my life that I can work on. And so what I think is so cool about it is this idea that we help you draw that line in the sand. You draw that line in the sand, you don't cross it, but now there's new challenges And we spend that time in the path working on our thinking, working on our beliefs around those new challenges because we're relearning how to deal with stuff in our life, 
right? I, the, one of the worst things I think we could do would be to put you in a situation where alcohol becomes small and irrelevant, but you don't have any other tools, right? And it's sort of like this one thing I thought was my thing I don't have, and now what, right? And that's what so much of the work is. And I saw a lot of that from you. And full disclosure, I probably should have said this at the beginning, you were in my path group um, for the last six months, um, and you're now in our um, sort of leading path group. Um, but, you know, I saw a lot of that from you over time of really kind of meeting these challenges head on and not necessarily from a place of, oh my God, I want to drink. How am I going to get through this without a drink? But from a place of, all right, well, alcohol is not an option. What am I going to do? You know? So what was that process like for you? Yeah. Um, that's interesting. So, um, I also took advantage of the one-on-one -on -one coaching with mm -hmm. Hillary, um, mm -hmm. when that was offered back last fall, um, to us and I'm still working with her. So that I think has also been good for me. So I, I like the, I like the group aspect in the path. Um, and I like the, the smaller groups because I feel like, you know, the, the coaches are really available, um, and really do a good job. Um, but for me, I felt like I needed something a little bit more personal, but also in a way that I could, I felt that I could be more open, um, yes not in a, not in a large group. And I think now I might feel differently because so our original, like our hundred days group, the first group we got put into, um, a bunch of us actually started a, a Marco Polo, um, when we got dumped into a live, cause we were like, there's these new people and we don't know them and we don't know what to yeah, yeah. do. And so like the merging yeah. of the groups gets, gets, um, interesting, but, um, so we still, I mean, I consider those women like my closest friends um, and we share so much in that smaller platform. So now I think it would be a little bit different, but I needed a place where, or I felt that I needed a place where I could get more personalized coaching around the things that were coming up specifically for me, because I also felt like a lot of the stuff I was dealing with at, at that point wasn't alcohol. And so mm -hmm. I, yeah. I felt weird about bringing it up in the past. And I think again, in retrospect, maybe that that's, silly but so so for me it was a lot of like coming around to my core beliefs and having those having those come up and help in tracking back um and I think that you know one of the things that I hesitate to use the phrase post alcohol, but for me, that's kind of how I feel. So I'm, I'm going to use that um, yep. is to say that, you know, all of this stuff is now open to me because I started to notice it because I stopped drinking. Yes. And so, so that, that sort of progression, it, it makes sense to me, but I, I never was taught the tools to, to go, to go deeper into those things. And I think that the content from the alive section, um, is really geared towards, okay, but now what, like how, yes. how, how do you want to live your life and not what do you want to do, but how do you want to feel? And, and if you can, if you can figure out how you want to feel, you can work out the things that are going to get you there. And yes. that for me is huge because I think for, 
for a long time, I had these things that I wanted to change in my life, just small changes or like, I want to drink more water or, you know, I want to eat better or I want to do this. I want to do, I want to meditate. And, and when you're doing it just to do it, it's not fun and you don't have a reason. Like yes. it just, it, we, box checking, right? Like I am a former box checker and I call myself a former box checker because I have learned now <laughs> that for me, checking off those boxes wasn't actually helpful. It was yeah. making me feel worse. It was making me look back and say, you know, these are all the things that you haven't accomplished. Right. Did I check enough today? Yeah. Right. Right. So, so now I take the approach of like in the morning, how do I want to feel today? Okay. I want to feel accomplished. So what am I going to do to get me there? And so here's a list of things that make me feel that way. You know, running makes me feel that way. Sometimes doing a to-do list makes me feel that way, which is how I incorporate some box checking into my, right. you know, or if I want to feel energetic, you know, like I'm going to dance around the house or I'm going to like, I'm incorporating other things into, into that. But I think that the biggest thing for me has been the understanding of where my thoughts are coming from and that I can change them. And that I, I think, and I, I said this to my husband last night, is that like, just because I have lived in this personality for almost 40 years, doesn't mean I'm stuck with it. Yep. Which is <laughs> mind blowing, right? Because I think everybody has those things that they don't like about themselves. Like you get snappy when you come home from work or, you know, you lash out when you get frustrated or things like that. And that you don't actually have to keep doing that mm -hmm. if you don't want to. And so for me, that is, that is what I call the, the like post-alcohol Caitlin, because, you know, the, the Caitlin of two years ago was stuck in this, like, yeah, you know, just reaction cycle and, and changing that to a response cycle and changing that to a, a mindful, thoughtful cycle. And I think, I mean, there's no way in hell I could have done that without the path. Like that's, yes. yeah. And I, I think that the resources that, that we have, including you, I mean, including the coaches, including, you know, that, that aspect plus like all of the worksheets and the video there's a lot. yeah there's a lot <laughs> but but and i think that that's the nice thing too is that you can go back to things and right. you can, and i and i've and i've done that where you know i have a split second reaction to something and i and i see it happening and i'm like ooh, that's not that is not how i wanted to react okay like make a note of that, go back, pull out the, the worksheet where you say, okay, I had an unexpected reaction. Where, where did that come from? And, and to, to be able to use those tools um, to keep growing, I think is, is really important to me because I, I never really thought that I had that like growth mindset because I didn't. Yeah. People don't. I mean, when you're stuck with yeah. alcohol, it feels, it feels impossible. You know, it feels like, um, you still, sometimes you still kind of desire it, but it doesn't feel like it's actually going to happen. And that's because you're using the same solutions to the problems that you've had for a while. 
So you have been in the path now. Well, I should say this. We are four days away from one year for you. How does that feel? It feels weird and and wild. Um, (laughs) You know, I think it's interesting because at first, you know, we talk a lot about do we count days? Do we not count days? You know, is a data point a failure? Absolutely not. You mm-hmm. know, and and I actually, I, I consider April 16th as my like day because it gives me something to kind of hang on to. And I, I have had, I had one data point in August after that, but I'm not counting that, right? Like for me, that's not a, you know, I don't start over at day one. Um, right. I, I thought I had to, but I changed that mindset. Um, so it, it feels wild because at first I was like, there is no way I can do this for the rest of my life. This is not possible. This is, this is a, you know, that's, that's never going to happen. And over time, it's sort of, I'm still astounded when I look back and I think about how, how really small it actually is in my life because I never thought that it would happen and it did. And I have, I have a little bit of apprehension, right? We talk a lot about fading effect bias Mm -hmm. and, and this, it's sort of the, I think for me, the analogy of um, running a marathon and having children is kind of the same thing, right? Like that you have these like intent, you have a period of time where you are really working at something or you're growing a human or training or whatever. And then you have this event that is both like painful and wonderful. And then you go through all the things with that. And then you just kind of forget about the painful part and you just remember the wonderful part. And, you know, I have a little bit of apprehension that because it feels so small, there's a potential for it to creep back in, which is why I sort of am committing to continuing to do the the work, right? To continue to, to work on those underlying beliefs and those thoughts and those judgments, because to me, like that's where it came from. And if I can sort of like staunch that flow, (laughs) so to speak, then it's never going to become a thing again. It's if I, if I can work at the, at the roots, then the rest of it doesn't matter. And I think that that's, that's what I, that's what I've learned. So I, I'm really 100% correct. You know, the Caitlin that started drinking back in Mississippi versus the Caitlin of a year ago, those are two different people, but the Caitlin of a year ago versus the Caitlin now has grown so much. And so continuing to grow right? Continuing to pay attention to our thoughts, continuing to work on our beliefs. That's how that idea of, um, well, entropy, not to use, to use a term that we use in there, but that's how we, that's how we stave it off, right? Is that we continue to grow so that the Caitlin a year ago that, you know, maybe had those first 30 days or right before the Ohio thing and pandemic happened and, you know, had that really bad night. That's a very different Caitlin with different beliefs and different thoughts than Caitlin of now. And the good news is that you can keep growing, which by the way, byproduct of that, your life keeps getting better, but putting more distance between that version of Caitlin and this version of Caitlin, then something like fading effect bias isn't as uh, powerful, right? Because we're, we're in a place where we've grown so much. Um, so I have to get this wrapped up. 
I want to ask you a question um, that we love asking people, you know, after they sort of go back through their whole story. So if you could travel back in time and you could travel back to the Caitlin who had just moved to Mississippi, what would you like to know then that you know now? What would you like to tell that Caitlin that just moved down south? That's tough. Um, I would like to tell her that nothing you feel is wrong. I think that that's a big, that's a big thing for me mm, yeah. is that the way that you feel about anything is not wrong. That your judgments to make it wrong aren't wrong. And that this is what being alive means right and you're a human being being human and that everybody everybody has to do it i think that is amazing that is so good well caitlin uh thank you so much for sharing your story it's been awesome to chat with you um anything else you want to say before we uh before we wrap it up um not necessarily other than just like i continue to be grateful um, that Annie has done what she's done and that she's recruited um, the people that she has, um, both the coaches and sort of like her little army <laughs> of helpers. Um, and I'm really excited to see how the path and this naked mind grows. Um, I know there's been a lot of discussion um, about it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, coming to a place of dealing with all of the stuff and learning how to deal with the stuff actually helps us deal with the alcohol um, is I, I think a really neat, a really neat direction. So I appreciate awesome. all you guys. Good. Well, we appreciate you. Thank you for doing the work. Uh, it was great hanging out with you, Caitlin. And to those of you listening, thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next time with another Naked Life Story. Hey, I'm so excited because we are literally just about to start another live alcohol experiment. And if you don't know about the alcohol experiment, you need to literally drop everything right now and go to livealcoholexperiment.com. Here's the thing. This is a 30-day challenge and it's designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with the best version of you. You'll know it's that version that's living the most joyful life. That version that doesn't need alcohol to relax or have a good time. And that version that's having more fun and is more peaceful than ever. Again, it's just a 30-day challenge. It's live every single day. It's starting on the first. So hurry up, join me at livealcoholexperiment.com. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.